we thank you and praise you that we have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that we can sense a security because of that name. That, Lord, no matter what may happen, we are secure in Jesus Christ. Even in death, we are secure in Jesus Christ. Because we are a people who know absent from the body is present with the Lord. We know exactly where we're going to wind up at in his presence. And Father, we pray for those families who were killed in Nigeria, those families that were killed, over 200 Christians, that Lord, we pray for them. But Lord, you're mirroring to the world what might take place in the future for all those who name the name of Christ. And Father, we pray that we would be a people who are steadfast and always abounding in the things of the Lord. Knowing that, Lord, you have said that they persecuted you, what will they do with us? Knowing that, Lord, you have said to make your salvation secure. To seek it out. To really know that you're saved. That you're not just acting a part. But that you know that you know that you know for yourself that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. You tell us to examine ourselves. To really search ourselves. That we might conform to your word. And if we're not conforming to your word, most likely we're not saved. We're saying something with our mouth. But our hearts are really far from you. And Lord, I pray that you would cause each and every one of us to examine where we are with you. And that, Lord, we will search it to understand if we really are saved. And if we have any inkling at all that we're not saved, that we'll do that. We'll make our confession of faith. And trust you to transform our lives. And if we don't see the transformation taking place, we'll ask again, and we'll ask again, and we'll ask again until we experience the transformation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in our lives. Lord, let not this be a time in which we guess and play with you. But may we recognize that we are living in a perilous time when we need to be a people who are sincere with you. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Part of my message today is going to come from Time Magazine. And um, the reason it's going to come from Time Magazine, called, I believe it was last month, Time Magazine wrote an article on one of our largest churches in Seattle, out west, an evangelical church. And I'm going to read some of it in part of this message this morning. And the purpose of this message is to assure you of this. And we're going to look at Ezekiel 39 because God repeats something over and over and over again. He repeats it one time in 
Ezekiel 38 at the end. And he says, I will make myself known. But in chapter 39, he repeats that over and over and over again. And there has to be a reason that God says, I'm going to make myself known. I'm going to make myself known. And, and, and remember also last week we looked at the area where Lord said there would be a famine in the land for my word. We have to ask this here. Why is there a famine in the land? What has taken place among the people that they have put the Bible down? Uh, today, even those who say they are Christians and that they love the Lord, the average Christian may read the Bible once or twice a week. The average Christian may read the Bible once or twice a week. And they may only spend about five minutes, three to five minutes, in the Word, even when they read it. Just think if you were to eat that way. What would you look like if you were to eat that way? And what we forget is that the Word of God is our spiritual food. The Word of God is our spiritual food. But we're being conditioned as a society to do two things. One, to accept the culture of today and the society of today over God's Word. Over God's Word. That what dictates to us is what society say that is right and not so much the authority of God's Word. So the church in many ways and many Christians are trying to adapt themselves to what society say the morals are today and what is right rather than what the word says. And our young people are struggling with that constantly because that pressure hits them more than it hits you and I who are older. And they have to struggle and try to figure out what is really right in the day in which they're living. In the day in which they're living. How they're going to shape and form their life. And that's the dangerous part for the younger generation. Because they're going to fall into that area where God says that he sends a delusion unto them. Because they will not accept the truth that they will believe a lie. So as you enter into the tribulation period, and some part of the tribulation period, there are going to be those who will not be saved because they've already been set in the mind that they are not going to accept the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, well, how can that be possible when you look in the millennium time, and we're going to get there before this series series is over, Jesus Christ himself will be there. And yet people will reject him. But they reject him based on this very fact. They've already been conditioned to do so. When the heart becomes hardened and callous. And you don't want to hear truth. And you are denying and rejecting it. There comes to a point, and this is the thing about free will. You can be married and you can love your partner, but if your partner don't love you, there's nothing you can do to make them love you. And the same truth is true about God. 
because he's given you free will, he will not make you love him. Even if he stands right before you. And even what you see, the anger, the hate, or the misguiding teachings will cause you not to accept. And God says this because I will make myself known because there's going to come a time that man will no longer witness. We'll talk about it further, but it tells us in Revelation 14, thing around 6 verse, that the angel will fly to the four corners of the world declaring the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ because man now has been silenced. And man will not be able to speak it per se. God says, I will make myself known. Why? The Bible is no longer looked upon as the authority of God. The Bible has just become a history book, has become a book that just decorates our fireplaces, our tables, our coffee tables. It's not a book, as the psalmist says, that I've taken the word of God and I've hid it in my heart that I might not sin against him. It's not a book that defines sin. It does not define the people of God. It does not build the character of God. It does not build up the people, the women of God and the men of God to be godly men. It no longer has to us, although it's still there, the authority and the power that it possesses. You can see something very powerful before you or you can hold something very powerful in your hand and still reject it. It's like a man having $10 in his hand but he's starving and the restaurant is right across the street. But he won't use the $10 to feed himself because he never thinks he has enough to take care of himself. And he just wastes away. Um, is that whole area that I'm not satisfied. Something else has to be added. In Hebrews, God says Jesus was the last prophet, the last one to speak in a sense. There's nothing new that we can add to the word. And God says, there's going to come a time that people no longer look at my word as the authority. Now follow with me today, if you will, in thought. To see how this might progressively take place. And if we have somehow been warned by it. One, in Philippians 3.16 and 20, he says, Only let us live up, and this is what Paul is asking of them, only let us live up to what we have already attained or what knowledge we already possess about God's word. You may not know it all, but whatever you know, let me ask this question. Are you living it out? Are you living it out? The little bit of knowledge you have, 
are you living that out? Because if you're not, you're not going to gain any more. And remember, the Holy Spirit is the teacher. But the Holy Spirit will not graduate you from one class to the next class to the next class until you pass the test that you're actually practicing what you already know. There's no, there's no use of giving you any more, of making God any more real in your life until you have passed each test. Man didn't discover that they won't pass you on from one position to another position or another grade to another grade until you have attained certain knowledge in order to go to the next step. God did that. And man recognized that about God a long time ago. God doesn't promote you. God doesn't advance you until you pass these simple tests that are before you. Therefore, the Lord says it in this way. To whom much is given, what? Much is required. He goes on, he says, that you already attained. Join with others then. You're not a loner. Join with others in following my example, brothers. Now look what he says. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Those who are following after the Lord. Really take note of it. Because you're going to need other Christians. For the times that are coming, you're going to need other Christians. You're going to need this little group that comes together and pray for each other. And encourage each other as the day approaches. You're going to need that as never before. And he goes on, he says, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as what? Enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their what? Shame. Even though they don't recognize the shame. They glory in their sin. They glory in their destruction, not knowing they're going to be destroyed. And he says they're enemies of Christ. They're enemies of the Word of God because they oppose the Word of God. And everything in life they go against. Their life is against the Word of God. Contrary to the Word. And he says they live as enemies of the cross. A lot of people will tell you, I don't hate God. But neither do they love God. And you see it in their action. You see it in their behavior. You hear it in their speech. You hear it in their lack of zealousness for the Lord. For the scripture tells us to be zealous for the things of God. You see it in the Laodicea character and attitude where they're neither hot or cold. They want to be lukewarm. They believe, but they don't act on what they believe. And the Lord says he spews them out of his mouth. Because God won't accept lukewarmness. He won't accept you standing in the middle ground. Either you're going to be for him or you're going to be against him. One or the other. And he says, their destiny is their destruction, their God, their stomach, their glory is in their shame. Now look what he says. Their mind is on where? Catch that. Underline it. Because as you see more people join that pattern, 
of the mind being fixed on earthly things, it tells you their mind is not fixed on what? The kingdom of God or the things of God. They're stuck on earthly things. Everything is about here. Everything is about me and how I'm going to live here. Not knowing there's going to come a day you're not going to live here. And you don't have to grow old for that to happen. But he says their mind is where at? On earthly things. Parents, help your children to see the value of the pearls and the gold nuggets of Scripture. Don't force feed them, but share the goodness of God with them. Share how good God is and how God blesses. More than that, allow them to see your life, that you're hungry for the Lord and what God has done for you. You appreciate. And he says, their minds are on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly, we eagerly await a Savior there, the Lord. Now, take this second part. First Thessalonians 2, 5 through 6. You know we never use flattery. And Paul's talking about the apostles or those who would preach the gospel, those who love the Lord and who share scripture. We don't use flattery. And Timothy tells us there will come a time that people want their ears, what? Tickled. People want you to agree with them. He says, you know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. In other words, when you see one who is really a Christian, you ought to see that which is genuine, not that which is a fake. And he says, God is our witness. We were not looking for praises from men, not from you or anyone else. When you preach the word of God, or you are a Bible teacher, Sunday school teacher, when you are a sincere Christian, you're not looking for the praises of men. Nor are you looking to side with men or society or culture. What you're looking to do is rightly divide the word of God and declare that word of God. You're not looking to be on this side or that side. You're looking to be on the side of God in his word. And Paul says, we were not looking for praises from men. And when I read this part of the Time Magazine, you're going to hear this pastor of a church of over 15,000 that what he sees happening in his church, he begins to side with his church rather than side with the word. And often what's happening with the pressure of many churches today. We're being pressed and pressured by society to accept certain changes, even though the Word of God declares that to be a sin or to be wrong. We're being pressured to accept the values and the morals of a society rather than the authority of God's Word that forms our values. He says, 
We're not looking. Then you go to 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. He said, don't let anybody deceive you. Deception comes in very slowly. Deception comes very, very slowly. But even when people are trying to deceive you, God will eventually turn the light on. But then you are the one who have to make the decision. Even with your loved ones. Your loved ones will try to cause you to change what you really believe in. I have relatives, grandchildren I'm praying for, great-grandchildren I'm praying for, based on this fact. I know I am not going to change what I believe, what God's Word says, to accommodate them. And our families will challenge us. Do we really believe what Scripture say? Or do we abandon Scripture and go with culture and where they're living and how they're living and accept that? That's a pressure point. And what makes it so much pressure is this. At some point you have to come and say, unless they really accept the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to wind up in hell. That's pressure. Because none of us want to see our loved ones doing what? Going to hell. But that's where the decision is going to draw down to. And remember in Revelation it says also that family will turn against. For the son will turn his father into the law. The the daughter will turn his mother into the law. Uh, They would turn in those who profess to be Christians. Your own kids, your own household, your own loved ones will betray you. And he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. What's the rebellion? The rebellion against God's word. The rebellion against God's authority. And King James puts it another way. With a rebellion, you have to always fall away from what the standard is of the day. What the law is of the day that you rebel against. And therefore, the King James puts it a little different. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The falling away and the rebellion is the same thing. That you are against the standards and the principles of God. The Lord said there will be a famine in the land. Understand how that's going to slowly develop. Because there's a rebellion against God's word. There's a rebellion against God's standards. There's a rebellion that says, I no longer accept God's authority and I put his book down. And his book is his authority at this present time. And he says, the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. There's a time period from the rebellion to the time that the man is revealed. But the lawless one who is Satan and the beast in Revelation is already at work. But usually when people are trying to deceive you, you don't know it until they got you where what? They want you to be. Once they have you where they want you to be, now they can reveal themselves of what they truly are. So this has to start 
at some point, way before tribulations in a sense, that the lawless one, he's at work. Why? He's deceiving the mind. He is setting forth an atmosphere and a culture and a society that will accept him. But first he has to train them. He has to train them. And as he trains and develops a society to accept him and to accept his values over the values of God, one day he'll be able, as it says in Thessalonians, that he'll stand up showing himself to be, I'm God, I'm God. And people will accept that. Why? Because they've been conditioned to. A slow condition that has taken place over a period of time that God has allowed. Now, in, that, in Amos 8.1, he says, The days are coming, declares the sovereign. 8.11, The Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food. We see that where people are starving for food. A famine of thirst of water. Now, both of those things, you need to, what? Sustain life. We need food and water. You can have food But if you have no water, you're going to die. You can have water, but if you have no food, you're going to die. You need both of those in order to sustain yourself in life. And what often we forget is this. You need the Word of God to sustain a spiritual life. You need the word of God because that is your food and that is the water that Jesus says that if you have the water that he would give you with thirst no more to the woman at the well. And he says this is the manna that has come down from heaven, his word. You need his word. For his word is what causes you to thirst no more for any idols or any other thing to worship. His food is that which sustains the spiritual body, that sustains your spiritual life. And he says he's going to send a famine where there will neither be food nor water because it's going to be an absence of his word for the spiritual life. And he says, when I send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, why would that come about? Why would God even allow that to come about? Remember what he asked in Luke? He says, well, when I come, will I find any that are faithful? If there's a famine of his word, will there be a lack of faithfulness? Follow me in thought again. In Romans ten seventeen, Consequently, faith cometh from hearing the message, and the message is heard through what? The word of God. If you don't have the word of God, your faith can't grow. So what is the one thing that Satan wants to get Christians to do? Put the Bible down. What is one thing Satan don't want the Christians to do? Believe in the authority of the word of God or the power of that word of God. When you remove that, then Satan knows he has you. Because it is the word of God that's going to build you up. That you'll know how to put on. The helmet of salvation. You'll know how to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You'll know how to use the shield of faith. You'll know how to use that sword as your weapon against your enemy. You will be able to defend yourself. But without the word of God, there's no faith where you're able to stand or defend yourself. 
So Satan over a course of time is slowly removing the word. He's been at it for some years because we see less people carrying their Bible. We see less people in Bible study. We see less people interested in learning the things of God. We see less people. Now, understand this. There's a difference between being religious and being a disciple of Christ. Huge difference. We have a lot of religious people but very few disciples of Christ. Big difference. Big difference. We have a lot of people that can go out and quote what a pastor says, but they can't quote what the Holy Spirit has said through the Word. That makes a huge difference. Because the Spirit, the Scripture already has told us, He will not speak of Himself, but He will speak of who? Of those things of Christ. Big difference. Big difference. Hey. And if you remove the Bible and there's a famine for his word, then if faith cometh by hearing the word or the message, then Jesus is correct. When I come, will I find any who are faithful? Because faith comes through what? The hearing of the word. Now, Luke 18, he said, However, when the Son of Man come, will he find faith on the earth? Where are you at today? Are you really a person that functions in faith? Are you a person that really believes in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a person that's hungry for the Lord? Are you a person that's following after the Lord? Can you really say about yourself, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you say that when I open that word, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? Can you say that you really hunger and thirst for his word? Can you say that you're growing in Christ? Or are your mind just stuck on earthly things? Because if your mind is just stuck on earthly things, that's a testimony to you that you're not really saved or where you ought to be in Christ. He goes on in Second Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11. They perish because they refuse to love the truth. When you speak to somebody so often about truth and they don't turn, what do you eventually do? You're just quiet. <laughs> You're not going to constantly badger somebody about believing the truth or trying to help somebody to open their eyes to reality and truth. God, at some point, because he gave us free will, says he turns us over to a reprobate mind or a mind to believe a lie. Because we won't follow the truth, so he stops trying to impress truth upon us. Now, nobody knows that time which God does that. But God does that for this purpose, that no man, woman, or child will be able to say, I never tried to reach you. But that when you stand in Revelation 21 and 20 with the judgment, you'll never be able to say before God, nobody ever told me. No, I never had an impression from you about this is truth. No, because he's going to even line those up because oftentimes we teach there's only one group there, but it says the books were open. And then he says the books of life were open. So the Christian's going to be there 
and the non-believer is going to be there. And those that are going to hell are going to look at those over here. And Jesus is going to be able to say, they responded to my word. They believed me. You didn't. And he's going to hand them there to even give testimony. Yes, I once was this also. I once was an unbeliever. I was an adulterer. I was a fornicator. I was a thief. I was this. But I accepted Christ and that changed my life. They're going to be able to give testimony and evidence of the power of Jesus Christ. That's why it says the book of life was also open. That those individuals will be able to give testimony against those who said... They never heard. Why? I heard. Why didn't you hear? You make a choice whether to hear and receive and to grow. You make that choice. And he says, they perish because they refuse what? To love the truth. And so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe what? A lie. Where does the lie come from? From Satan. Where does lie come from? From society. Where does lie come from? From our culture. Where does the lie come from? Where everybody's doing it. Where does the lie come from? It's a changed time. We live in different times. Where does the lie come from? Well, this is acceptable to the world today. The question is, is it acceptable to God's word? That's the question. Is it acceptable in God's word? Not in the world. For this world's going to perish. Is it acceptable in God's word? Not the world. Now, he goes on, he says in Revelation 14, says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation. Now understand that it's important when you go through Revelation, not to just pick out Israel, because Israel is only one nation. And then when you read Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and then, don't just get caught on just Israel. Look how many times God will use the word in the plural sense, nations. And don't forget, Israel has always been set up to be like a witness for God. That's why Israel is the only nation in whom God ever promised land to and gave land to. It's the only reason Israel has lasted through all the terrible and horrible events that have happened in the history of Israel that they're still here. Many, many national type groups are no longer present. But Israel's still here. Israel's still here. And he says, they're flying through the air. And he had eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. Why is it that the angels now have to declare this gospel? Why is it that the angels are speaking it? Because man, through the beast, through the antichrist, and the loss of the word, had not the ability to truly declare it and speak it. But God says, my promise is that my word will always be there. Remember his promise? Not one jot, not one tilt of his word will what? Will pass away. Not one. Why? It is his word that gives life. 
It's his, it's his word that brings salvation. It's his word. So when man ceases to do it because of the hardness of heart and because of the persecution that's going to take place, and we're going to cover that in, Reve- in Revelation when we get into it a little more. When we see that really take place, and some of us may not be here to see it. Some of us may be here to see it. That God's promise is he will send his angels to the four corners of the earth, declaring from the sky the everlasting gospel. Now somebody will say, that's a myth. That's a lie. Let me tell you why that is so true in one sense. If I can't believe that, I cannot believe that Jesus Christ will return on a white horse in victory. If I can't believe God can do that, I can't believe that God sent an angel to witness to Mary what was going to happen to her. If I can't believe that, I can't believe that God sent an angel to speak to Samson's mother that she was going to be pregnant and bring forth that child. If I can't believe that, I can't believe that God really spoke to Abraham and called him out of his country and go into a strange land. When there's things that you say you can't believe, there's so many other things behind it, then you have to line up and say, I don't believe. And I can't believe then that God raised Jesus from the grave if I can't believe that. And though I may not be able to understand it, it is by faith I accept it and I believe it and I preach it and I share it. And I believe it's going to take place. Why? Because it's going to come to a place that man has lost the interest of God. And God will bear witness of himself to the nations. Now let's run into the book of Ezekiel real quick. And I want you to catch what Ezekiel is going to share with us. Ezekiel 39. Just before Daniel. Ezekiel. And uh, we want to get there. And the idea is to really understand. You got Jeremiah, Lamentations, then Ezekiel. Ezekiel 39. And he... God is going to say this over and over again. And when God says something more than once, God is really trying to catch our focus on it. But if he's saying it more than once, there has to be a reality behind it also that is taking place. So in 39.6, he comes back and he says, let me get there, get these glasses focused. He says, I will send fire, Omega. And on those who live in safety in the coastlands. Now listen to the end of that verse. And they will know that I am the Lord. They will know that I am the Lord. What is God saying? I'm going to reveal myself in such a way and in such power that they will know that I am the Lord. Because it's God's will that we know that he is. Don't have to guess about it. 
but that he truly is. He does exist. One of the reasons a lot of people see God as a myth or really can't believe is because they haven't experienced him. The reason you haven't experienced him, you haven't asked him. And the reason that you haven't asked him because you really don't want to know and you really don't want to know because if you know, it will change your life. So you really don't want to experience him based on the fact that it would change your life. And right now you love your present life more than what you would love him. But when you truly want to know God, God says he won't hide himself. And I understand this principle. I do not take experiences over his word. But if my God is a living God... He wants to commune with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to share with you. He wants to guide you. He wants to hold your hand. He wants to embrace you. And you'll know it. You'll know it. You'll know it. And he comes back in that verse 13. Look what he says in verse 13 then. He says, All the people of the land will bury them. And the day... I am glorified. I will be a memorable, it will be a memorable day, a memorable day for them, declares the sovereign Lord. But he says, boy, I will, I am glorified. What is God doing? He's glorifying himself. He's showing off. He's doing his thing. No matter what man is saying, or how man is rejecting him, he's glorifying himself. He's revealing himself. He's making himself known. Then when you come over into verse 25, I'm sorry, in verse 21, look also again what he says. In verse 21, he says, I will display my glory. I'm going to display my glory among what? The nation. Not just to Israel. I'm going to Display my glory, my power, before the nations, not just Israel. Isn't it strange just the other day in the news, the gentleman in Russia who was opposing the president winds up dead? And yet he was going to show how this current administration was doing what they were doing in Ukraine and they shouldn't have been doing it but he winds up dead nobody knows how but he's dead now and God says I will display my glory among the nations and all the nations will see the punishment I inflict and the hand I lay upon Gog. I want to take another step because last week you heard me talk about Gog and Magog. When you go into further searching on that of Gog and Magog, Gog is further, further north. You also find that historically if you go back and you really search it out, Gog and Magog and Mishit was also areas that were in Turkey. Remember Turkey is the ultimate empire. As we get in to Revelation more, we're going to look at five, six countries because in Revelation it speaks about 
five that were. One is, and yet one is to come. When you take it historically and look at it historically, all five or all six controlled Jerusalem. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, uh, the, the Persians, the Greeks, and the one that is Roman, the thing that throws it off and makes you have to really do your work is when it says the eighth is like the seventh, but the seventh is not yet. And the only other country that controlled Israel was the Ottoman Empire. And if the eighth is going to be like the seventh, and the seventh is not yet mentioned, the ultimate empire that John in Revelation didn't even know existed, but he knew that the Roman Empire existed, and therefore he says, he names, basically or talks about five have fallen, one is, the one is, is Rome, and yet who is the one yet to come? John couldn't see that part, nor was it revealed to him. Ultimate empire is the only other empire that controlled Jerusalem historically. In this mass. So it may not be Rome that we often have in a theory that will come back. But it may be the ultimate Empire, And the reason that is is because who was at head at that point? He goes on and he basically said in verse 22, look at verse 22 now. He says, from that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord, their God. How many times is God talking about they will know, they will know, I will glorify myself, they will know. If he's saying it that many times in that culture at that time and what's happening in that time, they don't even know that God really does exist. And God is saying, I'm going to wake them up. (laughs) I'm going to bring them out of their unbelief. They're going to at least know that I am even though they reject me. They're going to know that I am. Then when you get to 25, he gives a little brief history of Israel. He said, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord said. I will now bring Jacob, which is Israel, back from captivity. Boy. And will have compassion on all the people of Israel. And I will be zealous for my holy name. He's going again. He's going to be zealous for his holy name. And not Israel will be zealous. But he says, I'm going to be zealous for my holy name. He says, I'm going to bring them back out of their captivity. I'm going to bring them back. Then when you come down to verse 28, he simply puts it this way. Let me get there. He says, then they will know that I am the Lord their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God. For though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. 
I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit to the house of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. Go over to Revelations chapter 7 with me. He's going to pour out his spirit. And the purpose is that they might know him. He says, After this I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on the trees. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seals of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Then it mentions the 12 tribes, and it mentions 12,000 from each tribe. Go over to uh, Revelation 14. Come down with me into verse 3. Then they sung a new song before the throne and before four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among the men, offered as first fruit. First fruit. Now, follow sometime and study the word first fruit. First fruit, when it says that Jesus Christ was first to be resurrected, it also caused him to be first fruit. It is the first one among many. The 144,000 are called the first fruit. Because, follow with me in thought. If I only take 12,000 from each tribe of Israel, what do I do with the rest? It's a figurative number for us to understand. It's going to be a large amount. But he says, these are the first of them. There will be many more who will now what? Follow. But they're the first fruit. They're the first fruit. But many more will follow. But they're the first fruit. And I believe they are the first fruit coming from Ezekiel where God says, I will pour my spirit, what? Out upon Israel. That Israel might believe. And they believe. Now understand, this may be a generation who might see what is going to take place. Okay, come on with me. Let's talk about the how of this thing. How is it going to happen? Gog, which may be Russia, may not be, but at this point, everything points towards the Russians and so forth in this part in Ezekiel 39, 3-6. But in verse 7-9, through 9, it says, For seven years they will use their weapons for fuel. Now, is tribulation only going to last seven years? It cannot be this, because nowhere is this even mentioned in the book of Revelation that they will be taking the weapons of their enemies and using it for fuel for seven years. So this has to happen prior to what is called the tribulation period. 
something else that really takes place. Because of the nations that come against Israel, he said it will take seven months to bury the bodies. And he says that they will even employ the unemployed in Israel in order to bury. With something like that, do you think the nations are going to be curious what happened? You think something like that would draw attention? If we think 200 beheadings draw attention of the world because 200 people were beheaded, what is it going to be like when millions die because they turn their weapons on each other? And God says they won't even touch Israel because they would have turned their weapons on each other. When you go with me into verse 3, he says, Then I will strike your bows from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountain of Israel you will fall. Even before you really even attack Israel, your armies will be defeated. And God said, I'm making myself known. I'm making myself known. You may not want to know me, but I'm going to make myself known. Hey. And, and the whole process, he keeps bringing that whole point out. I'm going to make myself known. Look at that verse 12. Again, when he says, For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. For seven months, all who die, it will take seven months to bury them. And then even after that, there's going to be bodies every now and then that are found. And you would put a stake there to say, this body needs to be buried. Because it talks about a hand being up. You put a stake there and those who are employed to dig the graves will dig the graves and bury. Now we say, boy, that can't happen. And this takes place before Armageddon takes place. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this. But God says, I'm going to do some things that are going to draw attention to people. And people have to ask the question, is this man doing it? Or is it God doing it? Is it man doing it? Or is it a living God that's doing it? Is it God who protects Israel? For God's promise that no nation will rise up against Israel to destroy it. Is it God that's doing it? Or is it the United States that's doing it? And that's one of the reasons you do not hear really about the United States being in power per se. Now, there may be a little inkling of the United States because when it talks about the beast and and, and, and Daniel, and it refers to the uh, lion with the wings on. Understand, all those countries have sim- symbols of some type. The symbol for the lion, remember King Richard the what? The lion heart. And then it talks about two countries that come out of that individual. 
And out of that from England or its offshoots, one of them would be America. What is America's symbol? The eagle with wings. But America will not have any power, won't have any strength. And you need to look at something. Even this present day, we are weak in mind, we're weak in character, we're weak in morality, we are a weak, weak nation. I have never seen such horrible political things take place in our country where you do not talk about the issues, but you slander one another. They're talking about Jed Bush going for the presidency. What's one of the first people he hired is somebody who goes around digging up somebody else's past to be able to get the worst information about that person. That's not politics. That's not talking about the issues. And America is to a point, it doesn't care who leads it. As long as you don't stop me from selling my weed and I can smoke my pot, I can smoke my crack, and I can party on Friday and Saturday, and I can sleep with whoever I want to or how many I want to, as long as you don't stop me from doing what I do to enjoy my little bit of life, I don't care who's in the White House or who's in Congress. as long as you don't interrupt my partying or my lifestyle. And God is saying, I'm going to shake it all. I'm going to shake it all. I'm going to shake it all. In one way, I am blessed, and those of you who are in this age, for God, may, it may be a blessing that one day I don't wake up. And therefore it causes you to pray for your grandchildren, your children, your great-grands. I woke up this morning praying for my great-grand because of what's happening to his mind already. What he's seeing, what he's going through, what he's learning very quickly. And I'm praying God to put angels about him. I'm praying that God protect him from what he sees and what he hears and what all goes on around him. Praying God to rescue him out of the pitfalls that Satan would desire him to fall into. We're going to hear more babies at 9 and 10 years old. We're going to hear more damage to young people at 13, 14, 15 years old. If we knew the population of our young people are on some type of antidepressants, why is that? Because all the confusion that's in the head that they cannot handle. And in that verse 25, ask yourself, is this happening right now? That God is bringing Israel back to his land? 
on Sunday morning and sometime during the week on Christian Station, you can't help but hear, send X amount of dollars that we can fly people from Russia, we can fly people from here, that we can reestablish these people back where? In Israel. Is that happening right now? Yes. Wake up to that fact. God is bringing his people back to Israel. And then he says, I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel. Because Israel is going to be what Israel was intended to be. God's witness. And we're going to see it. We're living in some days that are frightening. But listen to the talk of our young people. Listen to the values of our young people. Listen to what is important to our young people. Listen to what they're talking about. God is far from the mind and far from the heart. Really take a good look at our churches. Every statistic will tell you Right now, in a sense, the church is losing a cultural battle. That does not mean the church is wrong. It just means we're living in a culture and a time in which people will not hear the message. And remember two things about the message. God says, my word will go forth and will not return to me void. The word has two things that are essential and must happen. One, the word either gives you victory and delivers you and brings you to salvation or the word condemns you. One or the other. The word sets you free or the word condemns you of your sin. And God says, my word will judge you. My word will judge you. Not man per se, but my word will judge you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we continue, O God, in this area, Lord, of end times, help us, O God, to believe what might be unbelievable. Help us to Know that, Lord, that man cannot in his own way remove, O God, what you have declared. And I pray, Father, that you would minister to us and help us to see that your word is being eroded. Your truths are being eroded. And, Lord, may you give us insight that we might truly, Lord, believe you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.